Hi, I'm Elliot. And I'm Lorena. And you're listening to Swipe Club. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode eight of Swipe Club. We are so excited to be back with you guys. This episode is going to be slightly different, just like the last one was. Um, We're continuing with our interview series, and this time it was my turn to interview one of my dear friends, Holly Bullman. She is an artist here in L.A., and I met her when I was over in Davis. And I got a chance to talk to her about some of her most recent dating experiences right before a lot of big changes that happened in her life. So it was really great to be able to sit down and talk to her about that. It got pretty intense, but I loved it. It was really raw, it was really authentic. So I think you guys will really enjoy to hear her story. It was really good. I love the transparency between the two of you. I highly recommend you listen to this episode. It's a great one. Absolutely, yeah. It deals with a lot of uh, making difficult decisions, especially in the face of being used to being in somebody's life, maybe having spent a lot of time with somebody, it can be very difficult to let some of the things go. Um, But Holly did a beautiful job of sharing her story. And I just wanted to honor that with a good episode. So thank you guys again for tuning in. Enjoy the episode and we'll be back with you guys soon. Today I have with me my dear friend, Holly Bowman a great artist in her own right, someone who I've known for a few years now, and I'm so excited to have you, Holly. How are you doing? Hi, Elliot. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I am doing well. So I kind of wanted to walk the, the listeners through our relationship, because I think that when we look at, you know, our friendship, um, it kind of carries this perfect little like linear timeline of growth. I would say, yeah. I think within that growth, especially because you and I kind of coincided pretty, pretty closely when it came to like our, the end of our relationships and the post, you know, the work that you do after that, all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm trying to think the very first, and we were talking about this earlier, but I think the very first time we met was through, through this little Thai restaurant that we used to both work mm-hmm. at in Davis, right? That was, that yep. was how we ended up meeting. I, I used to bartend through college and Holly did as well. And so we ended up meeting at this little Thai restaurant called Ket Mori, which actually I don't think is even a thing anymore. One of the, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a victim <laughs> of the pandemic, of right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's a whole I'm other story. I'm about it, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, honestly, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm sad in any way. But um, hey, you know, it gave me actually a lot. It gave me my friendship with you. Same. I am grateful for that. And yeah, so we met there. We were, yeah, we were a totally different spot in our lives, but it was such an interesting season of life for sure, at least for me. I remember one time actually when we had met up, I think this was one of the first times we met up, like actually outside of work. It was like, we went to the farmer's market. You went to Phil's Coffee really quick. And I Mm -hmm. think the girl gave you her number there. But then you were telling me you didn't know if you wanted to hit her up because your ex had been like kind of wanting to hang out and you weren't sure if that should be a thing anymore. Dude, the Phil's Coffee Girl. Yeah, I do remember (laughs) that. I had such a crush on that girl too. I would talk about her all the time. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. That is true. I do remember. Shout out Phil's Coffee for hiring cute baristas. I'm always there for it. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. All the baristas in Davis are great. That's where I was at. And at the time, I mean, you were still in your relationship, right? 
Yes, I was engaged. I don't think I was, I don't know if I was engaged at the time, but yeah, no, I was engaged. So that was a really interesting way to kind of start off a relationship uh, as friends. And it was kind of like, it seemed like you guys had good chemistry. I mean, when you guys sort of hang out and stuff. We had great chemistry. I mean, I, I think just, yeah, I mean, the alcoholism just creeps up on you and comes out of nowhere. And I had in the past been in some very toxic relationships growing up, you know, like growing up, I had a lot of trauma around my childhood and around loss. So it left me kind of vulnerable, I think, to these positions of codependency. Mm, And I would say that there were definitely like, even though there was that aspect for a while, I think you met me kind of when I had become I was starting to become more independent and kind of let go of that codependency because I had realized how depressed I was and I had mm. really done a lot of inner self like work and he just kept getting worse and worse. Right. And it isn't that he's a bad person. That's right, right, like, right. Just to make it super clear, he is, a, I think in his heart, he is just a pure sweet being and, mm-hmm. you know, like, he liked a lot of the same things I did. We both liked to camp, go out like hiking. And, you know, we liked a lot of the same music. He played drums. I liked to jam with him. But that yeah, just that's, slowly, that's what I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That slowly just got less and less and less. And it just became him and his video games and the bottle. And so I think when you met, when we were hanging out, he was kind of like, he was at like a plateau and then he just kind of had a really fast decline. Okay. T, T was, you know, I, he seemed like a super nice guy, very passive, yeah. very gentle. Um, but yeah, I think I did notice, especially like on the few, cause we went out on a few occasions, the mm-hmm. slow kind of withdrawal from like being present. And, um, and this was, you know, means only meeting and hanging out a few times. So I definitely can understand why I felt, especially when I, we first met, that you were, um, you were kind of, you seemed pretty independent for someone who was in a relationship, you know, which was something that was very rare for me, at least to see, especially, you know, in, in that college town that we were in, just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mind games. A lot of people like to play with each other. And, um, I didn't really feel like that was something that you were, you were doing. So that was really, no, no mind yeah. <laughs> which is something that like, honestly, <laughs> I appreciate the most is just like, um, I think something that we both realized was like, we don't have time for that shit. And we came about it in really different ways. It's interesting though, that you talk about the drinking thing, because, you know, I don't know if I have talked about it so much on the podcast, but I do like within my relationship with my ex, I definitely realized that, especially in college, like there is this drinking culture, right? Like this binge drinking culture and these, you know, like, and it's okay because you're young and blah, blah, blah. And this, whatever. And um, I did realize that there was a lot, I would substitute vulnerability and intimacy sometimes with just like, mm-hmm. you know what, I'd rather have like a few drinks and just come home and like sleep next to you because I don't, I don't want to do this. You know, it's, it's too much to let you into whatever it is that's going on in my head. So my yes is that that's probably the same kind of inner mental work that was going on with T. And you, it's interesting to kind of have like you being the like benefactor of that kind of behavior and hearing your perspective and me being kind of not in an extreme way, but also knowing what it feels like to be on the other end of that kind of behavior, being the one who is 
kind of affecting others with my, especially people who are intimately close with you with your dejection. Cause that's what really happens is especially when a high alcohol use is happens, it's to deject. It's to, it's to move away yeah. from whatever is not, and it, you know, feels good. It leads to a lot of stonewalling and a lot of yeah. feelings of like, I cannot communicate with this person. And also then it leads to, it leads to someone defending their alcoholism at all costs and defending their behavior because the second they admit they're doing something wrong or not even wrong, just that they're like not in the right for a certain situation right. um, or admitting like mistakes, just anything mistakes, like that. Yeah. yeah. It just really, it doesn't leave a lot of room for intimacy. It doesn't leave room for give take. And like, I would, I was really cautious about, I think I had learned and I had tried to approach things, especially like issues I was having in our relationship from a very, like, a very, like, I would try to approach it in a very kind manner. So I okay. try to like leave space for like, you, you know, I would use a lot of, I feel this way when this happens and right. instead of like placing blame and even that, wasn't working like it would just be like the repetition of bad behavior over and over and over again until it escalated and eventually i was like shit my life is in danger i should leave right which is right. very a lot of you know that's a lot of escalation to have to happen that is I, so i, I stuck I by seem like we were both beginning seasons of transformation um, yeah. when we met and we were kind of, you were, you were like really on the cusp of moving in a different direction. And what I would explain to most people, and I think this is something that we talked about in like episode two, one where we talked about self-sufficiency is that mm -hmm. when I think about people in a relationship together, I kind of, or, and, and this can be in any kind of relationship, friendships, family relationships, and dating relationships. But I think of people in community as people who are like little trees or little roots that plant next to each other. And obviously as you feed yourself and as you become better and more self-aware and good to yourself and just, you know, yeah. you're bettering the being of who you are, your, your little root starts to shoot up and you start to grow and bud and blossom and, and continue to grow. Right. And the, mm -hmm. the hope is that your partner or your friend or your family member is also kind of aiding in that. Right. And so you guys are growing at this even pace, but I love that. But sometimes yeah. the growth starts to mismatch. And I yep. think this is definitely where the state I found Holly in is like, she started to understand that there was starting to be some mismatch. So my question for you is when or where was there a specific moment or a specific thing that happened or maybe a season or day or a thought that crossed your mind when you, cause I know when it comes to relationships, um, the first thing you want to do is to help the other, right? Like you, you want to aid Always. someone, right? And so yes. when did you move from feeling responsible for your significant other's um, shortcomings or maybe like the, the issues that they were facing on a personal level? When did mm -hmm. you shift from like, hey, like I really need to invest and try to bring up to then realizing, you know what? I know that I love this person. I know that, you know, they've meant a lot in my life, but my growth is starting to mismatch what I can give. Was that like a specific time or was that things that kind of happened over a season of time? Like, how would you describe the process Holly went through 
to, to kind of <laughs> get to this point? It was a, it was a couple things. I think I'll go chronologically. I think the beginning started with me, me doing a lot of introspection. I was doing a lot of introspection, started meditating a lot, doing a lot of yoga, um, really taking time for myself. And right. I truly like, I did a lot of research in alcoholism because I had you know, it's kind of one of those things where when you're in it, it's really hard to see. And as soon as I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Right. And honesty is such an integral part of a relationship for me that I was starting to realize how unhonest our relationship was. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, in Al-Anon, they tell you, like, you have to accept that you will never get honesty in the relationship. And you have to just love the person for who they were are. And I think I was really trying to just like be with him for who he was and accept right. that there was things that I can't change and I'm right. not going to change. Right. And I don't want to change because someone has to like decide for themselves that they want to do this. Right. So that was kind of like the first like step. So I would start like removing myself from situations instead of like letting things escalate. I would like, you know, the deep breathing and stuff really helped me keep calm. I have high anxiety. So I have a hard time with confrontation. I would say right. relating back to Kat, Kat actually helped me a lot with getting better with confrontation. Bro, <laughs> yes, actually. And that's, um, that is such a true. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, no, continue. I'll, I'll keep note of that because um, I'll bring this up later. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, and then there was like a key moment when my sister moved in when she moved in so t was gaslighting a lot because that's what alcoholics do right. and um clara had started to point out some things and mm. those things were that i would compliment her and her partner a lot because her her boyfriend at the time was coming along to see like coming over to see her coming over to like you know, he was super sweet. He would like buy us dinner and he would like go out. We'd all go hiking together. Like right. he was very sociable and kind and present and, like, <laughs> and, present. and I right. loved how he treated my sister. It just made mm -hmm. me so happy to see her glow. Like I hadn't seen her like that with anybody. And I remember her sitting outside after there was, there was a really big moment. Mm -hmm. where um, there was some guns out in the house and I had some very close, um, some very close family members mm -hmm. like over and I, it, this moment just changed everything. I remember L just like, he like, well, T first tried to slam the door shut and then screamed, I'm going to shoot you all. Mind you, there was guns and ammunition on the bed. I don't know why, but T loved his guns. I had just like tried so hard to like get those things locked up and he would just like leave. He was starting to leave them around the house. He used to be really good about not doing that and mm -hmm. would lock them up. But mm -hmm. for some reason, there had been some break where he just stopped and I was like getting annoyed at it. But then I was like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, whatever, making excuses. But after this, there's just no excuses. That was not okay. Right. And I ended up calling T's parents and having them come over. And 
his dad came and took all the guns away. And I remember like being just, I went to go sleep at my mom's. Um, my sister and I went to go sleep at my mom's. Everyone was super upset, rightfully so. There was just crying all night. Right. Um, he woke up, had no idea what happened, was told what happened. And, you know, it looked like things were going to change. Like there was some promises to go to AA. There was some promises that, you know, no, you wouldn't touch a drink again. There was, my sister sat down and was like, if you saw someone in this situation, one of your girlfriends, what would you tell them? Right. How do you think they should be treated? I had that going over and over again in my head but right. a month a month later i try to bring this up to talk about and i'm like hey i know you had talked about going to aa have you looked into any meetings here's like a list of some meetings um maybe we could go to the couples therapy this is something i really feel i need to talk about like i haven't talked to you about it and um i just he literally told me to my face why you got to bring old shit up like that? Right. And it just been a month and he threatened my family. And right. I just was like, wow. Like, as that just was like, wow, huge switching point. Just like right. you are not sane right now. And then like a week later, went and got his guns back from his dad's house. My sister had moved out by then. She just like ran away. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really glad she got out, like power to her. Um, but we had a two bedroom condo and I started changing the other room back into my studio space to make my art because it was like, oh, making my art or whatever. And within that month after that, like after he had, after she had moved out, after he had like, done that whole thing and I was still coming to terms with it and trying to figure shit out I had just had this thought in my head as I was taking some wood into the studio because I was going to build myself a wall easel and all of a sudden I just felt a wave of just huge sadness of like what's the point of even even putting it up if I have to take it back down right and then I think it just clicked and I was like, it just all like came flooding in. Like, okay, first of all, it's not even responsible for me to even think of marrying and having children with this person. Right. I don't want to bring a kid into a family that's like already like this with all this lying. Nothing's right. changed. Um, I have been being told the same thing over and over again. I got really angry in that moment. Right. And I think finally I just saw the bullshit. Right. So it, it seemed like there was like a, a couple key moments that kind of were speaking out to Holly. Now, let me, mm -hmm. let me, I'm assuming that if it wasn't for the work that you started to undergo before like the key moments happened, you probably, would you argue that you wouldn't have had the wherewithal to finally get to a point where the realization hits you? Like if, if you yeah. hadn't done the meditation, if you hadn't been doing the yoga, if you hadn't yourself decided to make yourself healthier, do you think that the Holly before all this self-work would have just bared through it and just just kind of chugged through this whole shit and, and kept on going and, and hoping for better? Yeah. Do you think I, that, that that led absolutely. to that? Absolutely. I am, I am like, I, I was very used 
to be surrounded by trauma. That's what felt normal. That's what felt mm-hmm. like love to me. Um, mm-hmm. I started working on myself and I kind of had an epiphany, I think way well before you met me. And mm-hmm. I had been slowly, this was a long process mm-hmm. of addressing my depression and getting through shit and trying to figure out what I wanted. And right. taking a lot of it started with me starting to take accountability for myself and my own actions. Self-sufficiency. And I am like realizing I am the only one that I can control. I right. need to stop trying to control or change people. Like people, like I can't go into a relationship thinking that I'm going to save someone. I can't think that someone's going to save me. There right. is no such thing as that. I am right. literally the only person who can save myself and like change things for me. If I had stayed even a month longer, I would have hit the pandemic and still been living there. Yeah, wow. And I was in the service industry at the time. Right. And if I had done that, I would have been super fucking stuck. Right, 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 right. So So that um, was was perfect timing, I guess. Well, if you could even call it that, but useful timing, I suppose. Would you say that when you finally made this decision, because, you know, obviously that's what happened to, to end the relationship that was clearly very toxic, even though it was with someone that you had known and loved for such a long time, kind of describe the the wake of that breakup. Describe Holly's process through that. Was she sad? Was she relieved? Was it a mixture of both? Like, how, how would you describe, how did that kind of go for you? Right. I think that's a good question. Um... I think the way I left things and the way I left the entire relationship was actually what gave me the most peace. Hmm. I was trying to exit gracefully. To answer your question, I, I think I had started and I think I had left with the intention of, oh, maybe he will work on himself and I'll stick around and see, and I just need to live separately from this person. I was like, right. I need to have my own space. I need to have my own life. I need to have, I need to find a job I like. I need to pursue the art that I've been wanting to pursue and telling myself I deserve to pursue for so long and not doing it. And, or I need to move back. I think, yeah, back in like, back into my mom's for a little bit and then eventually get my own place. At first I started looking in sack and then I was like, fuck it. I'm going to move back to LA. Cause I never would have left LA if it hadn't been. Right. There was a lot of relief because I think I'd taken a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. on my shoulders for like what was wrong. I, I, I had been told for so long that I was the cause of all the issues in our relationship. And I think to like, realize like, no, I literally dealt with that the most ethical way I could think of. And as calmly as I could think of, and as kindly as I could think of, and I still got just like nothing, you know, like it it wasn't that I wasn't enough. It wasn't that I had failed. It was that Mm -hmm. the ball was in his court and he needed to do stuff for himself. Like I had done stuff for myself. Right. So I think, yeah. And then there was also, honestly, I was excited. Holly started to dream again. 
I think so. I think I started to think about all the things I wanted to do and started seeing the world as like a place of possibility instead of something that was already set in stone for me. Right. And yeah, I do remember this feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got really stoked. I, yes. It's interesting how when you take, when you take these spaces or these, these things that occupy spaces in your heart, mind and soul, they leave these gaps. And I think the gaps is what I would equate to like that post breakup feeling. It, it, it feels weird to be empty, even if it's empty of a tumor, right? Like it feels weird because you've been carrying this tumor for so long that when it finally gets extracted from you, the, the, like the void that it leaves doesn't, necessarily can like fill up as quickly as it was extracted you know what i mean or at least that's how it felt yeah. for me it was like there was this there was this void obviously it was something that wasn't helpful um mm -hmm. so it's been extracted but i think that's what i would describe as like the post breakup even if it's like for good reasons and then comes especially if you're self-aware and self-sufficient like you comes the like okay well what do i fill this void with now you know and it seemed like for you you started to fill that with dream and hope again with your creativity again, with the ideas of like, man, I need to get back into the art. And it's crazy how once you leave the influence of another, all the things that died in you in order to be in a relationship that wasn't accepting of you start to return. You know what oh, I mean? Well, I think I had, it's funny because I think I had kind of started regaining that sense, like that self and like filling that void before I actually made the move to break up coming out of that, like a lot of my sense of self and my dreams, I had already been kind of like, okay, I know what I want. You've been curating them. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, now they actually feel like I can grab them. <laughs> like I said, at the beginning of this recording, um, I, I kind of went through the same thing. Um, towards the like last four or five months of my relationship, I started to go to, to actual therapy and that therapy I, I won't ever forget that they're the first session ever. And within like 15 minutes, she had asked me these series of questions that just absolutely unraveled me. I was really raw in that moment and really open to hear my own truth. Cause really what therapists do is, is they don't really tell you what to do. They, they guide you along and kind of invite you to take another assessment of your preconceived notions of self and when that happens, man. And so I remember that was my <laughs> first session and it would, it started to become the, my favorite part of the week, which is Saturday mornings. I would look forward to going to therapy um, because I knew that something was about to change in me. I knew that there was things going on that had made me feel more alive than I had felt in years. And this is not mm -hmm. to knock my ex, um, but this is more about a personal thing. I was well on my way to becoming a healthier person for sure. And, mm -hmm. I was going to be okay because I had already mm -hmm. started doing all these things. And at that point I had already started meditation, but it, it didn't save me from, from the normal emotional wear and tear of removing the familiar right. that has been there for so long within these walls, these confined spaces. Um, I went through that, but in a very similar and different way than you, I suppose, because yours seemed yeah. more like this, the break free of this like chain. And now I'm here and I'm open. And mine was like, Oh, I can't believe I had carried this, this thing for so long and now it's done, but I'm also kind of sad and like, I know it should be, it shouldn't be. And, and so I, I for sure would describe myself as a mix. I was like, like, Oh, fucking. Yeah. I was sad too. I was crying. I was very raw. I think I was crying a lot. 
mm -hmm. you know, but it also allowed me to find beauty. I think what really helped me was just finding beauty in tiny things. I started mm -hmm. writing poetry mm -hmm. um, and that's where the meditation came in help handy because like I think my poetry was kind of a form of meditation where it would be noticing tiny moments of happiness like the way right. the light was reflecting on a leaf or like the way the wind sounds or you know stuff like that some of it was a little darker and a little more personal like psychological but a lot of it was just like those happy moments mm -hmm. um but I was sad I I loved I had so much love that I just felt had just been rejected. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was a lot of also anger. A lot at of self anger. or at, at, at other? At self and other. Um, mm -hmm. At self for letting, for letting myself go through that and not noticing earlier. Right. Because I think I could have caught it a lot earlier. Um, there was I went signs the same way thing. earlier. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then there was also a lot of anger at them for not taking into consideration what the fuck they put me through. Right. Like there was some shit that I wouldn't wish on people. Like right. I wouldn't want anyone to see or go through that. But it was very painful. Mm -hmm. And so like, yeah, like, there was a lot of exercise that happened. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I think we both we both went through it. We both went through it, which is why um, towards the end of our time in Davis, so now kind of like co coming back to the linear story of us, mm -hmm. um, I think the common thing with us and what we recognized in each other that was that we were emerging into something better and that there was hope outside of the walls of our trauma, outside of the walls of the self-infliction that we had put ourselves through. And there was a glimmer in our eyes. I mean, I remember being so happy when we'd meet up in coffee shops and we would just yeah. like, just let our brains and our minds and our hearts just kind of open up. Yeah. And I, you know, that is one of the most amazing things that you can experience in self, especially after going through such a, a shitty, difficult um, time. And then to be able to kind of do that together in a way mm -hmm. um, was really, really great. So that's kind of where we kind of caught the the portion of our life that was together um, because we were coworkers. We lived within like a two mile radius of each other. Yeah. We got to see each other a lot. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really fun and, and just kind of life giving to know that there's something better, man. So at that point, the pandemic started to be a thing. I remember that yeah. we ended up realizing both Holly and I, that we were not only ready to move on with our personal lives, but symbolically and also just practically, we both were, and I remember we were at uh, that cloud cafe, rain cloud cafe. We were both like, remember that day? I remember that day. Yeah, we were both like, hey, we are going to do this again one day, but we won't be in Davis anymore. We're both gonna pursue what we wanna do. Um, you with your art, me with my my music media company and the things that I have visioned for myself. And we're like, and we're not going to be here. We're going to be in LA. And when we are, mm -hmm. when we finally get to that point, we're going to celebrate. And it, what, it was like, what, a few months after that, right? Like seven, six months after that, you, yep. you took the leap first, I think. Um, yep. You dipped out. You're like, all right, it's time. I'm doing it. 
And, and then shortly thereafter I did, and we did mm -hmm. eventually have that moment. I remember when I finally like visited you at your place and, and, um, in SoCal in LA and we, we were like, yo, we made it. Yo, we like, did it, dude, look at us. Out of here, you know? Yeah. And that was such, um, that's why I say like linear stories because we really kind of went through similar things at the same time and lived to tell the tale, but not only that, not just survive, but like started to thrive, man. Started to like really, really up the things that we expected from ourselves and the world around us. And I think that's where we're going to have to leave it for now. Um, but thank you so much for sharing your story, Holly. That was really, that was really powerful. And I think that um, it's going to give a lot of people the courage to finally make maybe a hard choice that they've been sitting on for a while or, um, really encouraging people. This is, this is exactly why we made episode two about self-sufficiency because it'll save your life and make it better. And, uh, you know, take it from Holly, take it from myself. Like it is so crucially important because it helps you recognize, um, illness in my, in ourselves and in others, especially if they're really close and it makes you able to make the right decisions. So yeah, I'm break, so stoked. Break we did faulty it. patterns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Holly. I really appreciate your time. Um, Holly, like I said, is an amazing artist and you have your Instagram, your, uh, you should plug your, your projects and your shit, you know, make sure people okay. know. Yeah. Bowman studio. I have a website and it's, uh, I'm on Instagram and then, or you can find me at, as long as it's not challenging. It's my personal Instagram. Perfect. A <laughs> <laughs> I love. I honestly love Holly's social media presence. She's such a funny meme share. She's she's got the dankest memes on deck. Like literally at least a once a week. Memes. <laughs> I, and they're so funny. They're honestly. I and you know that's my humor. So I'm. There's literally like at least once a week. I'm. I'm literally responding to her stories because I'm dying. Like just laughing my ass <laughs> off. Um, but Holly so is such an incredible artist. I I always tell people. Um, that I get really jealous of visually artistic people. And Holly is definitely in that jealousy group of mine. I'm just like, man, I can't even draw a stick figure straight. And this girl's <laughs> like out here making paintings and just beautiful, beautiful shit. So go check out her work. She is definitely worth your time. I know she's been worth my time. And um, yeah, Holly, thank you so much for being here. I'll put all the, uh, the, the, the Instagram handles and your website stuff in the description for the episode when it, Sorry about that. The episode kind of drops off there. Editing was a little bit hard for this one. But anyway, all of Holly's Instagram and contact information, if you want to check out her work and stuff like that, is going to be in the episode description for this. Thank you guys so much for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it, and we'll catch you on the next one. Swipe Club out.